Our sermon text this morning is from the fourth chapter of Ruth, verses 7 through 12. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilian and all that belong to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning and ask that you would do what we cannot do. Would you please speak to us through your word? All praise and honor and glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. It was, by all measurements, a nice Sunday August night in St. Charles, Missouri, a northwest suburb of St. Louis. There was a slight breeze, a little bit lower humidity than normal. It was nice. As the manager of a local Burger King named Dennis put his keys in the drop box to make a deposit with the daily cash. And at that moment, two men approached him with guns drawn. Hand over the money. Hand over the money. So he did. As they ran away, he lost sight of them around the corner, but he saw the car they got into and managed to spot the license plate. The car was registered to one of the men, Cornelius Michael Anderson III, who just goes by Mike. Mike was found guilty of the robbery and sentenced to 13 years in prison. His lawyer appealed the case, And so Mike was released on bail during the appeal process. The court denied the appeal, but then something extraordinary happened. They forgot to arrest Mike again. And no one noticed until 13 years later when he was supposed to be released from jail. He just lived his life. He didn't hide. He didn't run. He didn't change his name. He got his driver's license every year. In fact, he started up a business under his own name at the same address they had him registered at. He just fell through the cracks. Now, Mike's story continues on, but what I want to focus on today is those 13 years. 
and the amazing result of them. See, in the time that this man could have spent rotting in a jail cell, he instead fathered three children, married a woman who had a child from a previous marriage, and by all accounts was a loving dad to all four kids. He started his own construction business, providing for the needs of his family and employing others to provide for the needs of theirs. He physically built and made things that stood and still are standing. He became active in his church, and I'm not sure, but possibly even saved during this time. He was a well-known source of godly counsel amongst his community. Now, even those of us who cry out for justice and judgment, forgetting our former state, must agree that this is incredible. This is a clear picture of something that is 13 years of a man's life, but more, much more likely someone being redeemed. Why do I bring this up? Because if you recall last week, Boaz gathered the unnamed man from our text and the elders at the city gates. And last week, the unnamed man, whom the text calls the Redeemer, refused to redeem. And so we still have this lingering question that should be on the forefront of our minds, what is going to happen to Ruth? What is going to happen to Ruth? Ruth is unredeemed. Boaz said that he would redeem her, but she has not yet been redeemed. What we will see this morning is that the real Redeemer acts in the interest of those he redeems. The real Redeemer acts in the interest of those he redeems. And we see this in three movements. The Redeemer rescinds, verses 7 and 8. The real Redeemer, verses 9 and 10. And the Redeemer's reward, verses 11 and 12. The Redeemer rescinds, the real Redeemer, and the Redeemer's reward. Let's begin with the Redeemer rescinds, verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. Does this sound odd to you? This handing over of footwear? Good. Because then you can empathize with the original audience that Ruth was written to. You see, the author here goes to effort to explain what is going on. And we ask, why? It can only be because the people who first read this would not have understood either. So what is it that is going on? Apparently, at this time in Israel's history, there was a tradition that had to do with this specific act of redeeming. And it is reminiscent of what is written in Deuteronomy 25 concerning Leverite marriages. If a married man who died had a brother, it was this brother's responsibility to marry his widow and to provide a child for her. If the brother refused, this widow was to gather the elders at the gate as we saw Boaz do last week, and bring the brother there and implore him again in front of the elders. If the brother again refused, she was to spit in his face and remove his sandal from his foot. Now there are some important distinctions here for us to draw. The unnamed man in our story is not the brother of Ruth's former husband. Thus, this is a Leverite-adjacent situation. 
And this means that the shame in refusing is much less than the account that we find in Deuteronomy 25. And thus, no spitting in this man's face. Though it is shameful for him not to do a good thing, not to redeem, it is only the shame of passing up an opportunity to do good, not the shame of not doing what is required of him. And because there is no requirement for him to act, his sandal is not forcibly removed from his foot. He has passed up on doing good, and so he removes it himself. Verse 8. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So what, what's actually happening? Well, the Redeemer has refused to redeem. The unnamed man has refused to buy the land on account of Ruth being a part of this deal. And I can only imagine that this made Boaz's heart leap for joy. What this unnamed man sees as costly baggage, Boaz understands to be the true prize. And so to make this transaction official, the unnamed man remove his sandal. Now, in our modern context, the closest legal approximation to this is probably a handshake sealing a deal. M much of what is legal in our time revolves around written contracts, and yet a handshake deal made in front of witnesses is almost always as legally enforceable as a written contract. So while the act of giving away footwear is odd to us, the situation is not wholly alien. Boaz has presented this man the option to agree to a verbal contract as stipulated by the law. The man refuses in front of the elders who act as a panel of judges and passes the offer to Boaz, removing his sandal as a customary legal action in a nod to Deuteronomy 25. And still, still, we are left with Ruth unredeemed. So Boaz accepts the man's offer, verse 9, and we see the real redeemer. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Here we have what is effectively Boaz's closing statement, and it comes to us by way of an inclusio. This is a literary device that begins and ends with the same phrase. Here, you are witnesses this day which makes Boaz's point impossible to miss. You elders, you all people around, you have all seen and heard what I have done and are witnesses to the very real implied responsibilities that I now bear. He's emphasizing this because witnesses are a serious thing. I mean, witnesses are still central to our legal system, but imagine if there was no security camera to ever catch a crime. Imagine if there was no such thing as a written contract that you could show and say, see, he wronged me. Imagine if it was all based on what other people said. That's how it is here. Witnesses were the gold standard of evidence and proof. And so in Deuteronomy 19, 
It specifies the need for a plurality of witnesses, just like we see here. And Deuteronomy 19 also offers, frankly, compassionless judgment for a false witness. Listen to what is said about a false witness, the gravity of this. The judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In this culture, being a witness was a very serious thing. And so what is it these people are witnesses to? Well, first, the Boaz has purchased land. Of course, not any land, specifically the land that belonged to Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin. But he is not only buying the land, he is buying all that belonged to them, which in this context included Ruth. I think it's important that I make a brief note about this. It is popular currently in our society to look at a passage such as this and to conclude that the Bible teaches that women are inferior to men, that women are mere property. Dear friends, you must understand this is, of course, the very furthest thing from the truth. From the very beginning, God made man and woman in his own image. Man and woman, he created them. Now, a discussion on the presence or absence of God defining specific roles for men and women is outside the purview of what I want to talk about today. I only want to refute the audacious claim that Scripture presents women as being of less value than men. Eve was, and all of her daughters are, made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God, just as Adam and all of his sons are. So to be sure, Boaz is purchasing his bride. But this is not the way it ought to be in so many ways. Do you realize the amount of things that had to go wrong for us to get to this point? Look at how many effects of the fall lead to this moment. The famine that led to Elimelech and his family leaving Israel is a direct result of covenant breaking. Them leaving is an act of covenant breaking. The very fact that Ruth herself was a Gentile apart from God's people is a result of Babel. The intermarriage between Ruth was direct disobedience to God. The death of Ruth's husband, father-in-law, and brother-in-law, all because death entered the world through the fall. This situation is in dire need of redemption. And so Boaz redeems. And his intentions are pure. He is acting on others' behalf, even if what he says is, Maybe a little confusing. To perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. So what on earth does that mean? Very simply, that Elimelech and Malin would not be forgotten. That someone would persist in their lineage. And Boaz achieved his end. Not just with a child, but but in the same text that refuses to name the man who refused to redeem, Elimelech and Malin's name are forever preserved in God's word. 
Though they both failed in honoring God, Boaz is in a very real way redeeming their names by redeeming Ruth. The real redeemer acts in the interest of those he redeems. We have seen the redeemer rescinds and the real redeemer. Now look at verses 11 through 12, the redeemer's reward. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz is given three blessings by those who are around him. First, that Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah. And if you recall, Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob. And they gave birth Israel, the tribes of Israel. So this is a prayer that she would bear Boaz children. And this is an especially poignant prayer considering that we know that Ruth had been married for 10 years previously to Malin and they had no children. The second prayer is that Boaz would continue to live in an upright manner, that he would act worthily in Ephrathah, which, given what we know of his character, is likely, and that he would have renown because of his upright actions. Most likely they had this specific honorable act of redemption in mind. Finally, their final prayer is that his house, that is his descendants, would be like the house of Perez. Almost certainly this is on their mind because of the Leverite-adjacent situation to Perez's conception. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, if you'll recall. And both of the sons that he married to her got killed. And so Judah promised his youngest son, but he failed to follow through. So Tamar tricked Judah, and as a result of her subterfuge, bore him two sons the firstborn being Perez. In our text, we have a much more honorable Leverite-adjacent situation where Boaz is taking on the burden that he does not have to. Thus, their prayer is that his house would be like the house of Perez, which was in the tribe of Judah, a royal tribe, and at the time of the book of Numbers, the largest tribe. So they again pray for a fruitful marriage, but one that establishes a lineage. And in so doing, they actually directly claim that God will do this. So let's put this all together in the the big picture of our passage. First, the unnamed man fails to redeem as the redeemer rescinds. Then Boaz steps up as the real redeemer, and he acts in the interest of those he redeems. As a result of this, the Redeemer receives his reward, his bride, a lineage. Do you see it, friends? Do you see the type that Boaz portrays? You are Ruth. Though Ruth was shrewd in her actions, the only thing she could really do at the end of the day to redeem herself was to throw herself at the feet of her Redeemer and trust Him to redeem her. What more can we do, friends? When we see our regular failures, 
We run to our Redeemer, throw ourselves at his feet in prayer and trust that he will redeem. Friends, he has redeemed. If you are in Christ, dear friend, you are and always will be entirely and completely redeemed. You are justified. There is no condemnation because Christ bore it on the cross. The fullness of every judgment, every public and secret shame was borne by Jesus. In the court of heaven, your debt has been fully paid and you have been purchased by his blood. Your life is redeemed. By the infinite value of Christ's sacrifice, no debt is too great for him to pay. No person is too far gone for him to redeem. And so, dear friend, if you are weary and hopeless, find your rest and hope in him. Would you find no rest or hope until you find it in him? And if you have been redeemed, then imitate Christ in redeeming. Plant a garden. Offer the fruits of your labor to your neighbors, family members, and those in need. Physically redeem that plot of land. Use it to care for others. Families, consider the redemptive impact fostering or adopting could have on a child. Consider your habits, where you could act redemptively instead of selfishly. Friends, I do not know your day-to-day lives, but you do, and more importantly, God does. So pray that he would give you insight into where you can be redemptive. We do not imitate Boaz here. We imitate Boaz insofar as he imitates Christ, the great Redeemer. This is how we do all things to God's glory. May we be a people who create, cultivate, and redeem. Would we act first in the interest of others because the Father sent Christ for us? Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you again for your word and how it always plainly points us to Christ. We thank you for the redemption we find through his sacrifice. Would you shape us to be a people who imitate Christ in redemption? We ask this in his name. Amen.